Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. So, uh, because, uh, because there was a switch, um, I am literally throwing in a random week <laughs> in this Misconceptions sermon series. Uh, so, if you've not been a part of the sermon series, like this is your first time here, or you've not been here in a minute, then we've been kind of in some ways, taking some misconceptions that have existed in the church, our understanding of Scripture, or our understanding of what it is to live in Christ, and for, any, for no other way to say it, really unraveling them. Um, and they have been deeply intimate. Uh, I, I was uh, joking, even in this week, we've been four for four in terms of the Holy Spirit messing our whole week up <laughs> in a good way, right? In a good way, but about what we're preaching about. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, so you're going to preach about it? I guess you're going to live it this week too, right? <laughs> like, and so that has literally been what it has been for us as, um, as preachers. And that's, um, that's how that should be. Uh, one of the things that we believe here is that this preaching time is not us preparing something for y'all. It is us receiving from the Lord together. And so we eat together at that moment, right? It's not our thoughts, our feelings just imposed upon you. We are learning and growing and being stretched in the process. Um, and honestly, if we're not growing and being stretched in the process, the sermon is just not really impactful. Let's <laughs> just be real. It's just not. Um, if we can't grow from it, then nobody really can. So, uh, so it's been a joy to be in that. Um, but this, uh, like I said, is thrown in kind of, kind of like one of those fred, fresh off the presses, kind of very hot omelet <laughs> um, uh, sermon. And as I was praying through yesterday, like, all right, Lord, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, the conversation actually about us being a multi-ethnic family is what kind of came into my heart to kind of process. We talked about that here before, and I do want to say out loud, I know that all of us come to this concept of being a multi-ethnic church family from a really different place. Right. Some of us talk about that. Some of us have been a part of multi-ethnic communities that have been thriving and healthy. And some of us have been a part of multi-ethnic communities that have not been. And it's been a challenge to figure out what that is. And so uh, this is kind of a dual misconception. We can talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions as it relates to multi-ethnicity in, in the church and in Scripture, but also for those of you who are new to the family, you get to get exposed to how we do multi-ethnic here <laughs> um, because it, it matters. It, it really does matter. So there's some misconceptions that I thought of that I decided to make a list of. We are all the same in God's eyes. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. That doesn't mean that we don't all have equal value in God's eyes. That's true. But we're not all the same 
in God's eyes. That's a misconception that many believers try. We fall prey to that misconception. Race is a political matter. No, Mm -mm. it's a people matter. (laughs) Because, Because humans have made race an issue, it is one. Right? We, I think we've all been around long enough to know that race has no biological foundations. But because we've made it a thing, it's a thing. And none of us have lived long enough to remember what it was like before it was a thing. So we have to navigate it. But it's not a political thing. It's a people thing. Only whites can be racist. Yeah, we going there, fam. We're going there. It's a misconception. It's not true. It's not true. Talking about race means you're racist. And so when, <laughs> when, real quick, I have had a friend for mm, over 25 years. And uh, just a couple of years ago, we had a conversation about race for the first time. He's white, I'm black. We've been friends since we were in fifth grade. We talked about everything in life. When I say everything, we talk about everything. We talked about sex, we talked about money, we talked about what we were gonna be when we grew up, we talked about who we had crushes on, we we talked about everything, but never actually had a conversation about race until we were in our mid-30s. And a part of that was because he grew up in a family that didn't talk about race, uh, not talk about the navigating the nuances and the challenges of what it is to, to navigate race. And to be real, most white folks don't talk about race like that. They actually teach their kids talking about race means you're racist. Shh, don't say it, don't say it, don't, don't do that. Right? Like, my, my kids and I, like, we would go through the grocery store and, like, talk about, like, who has the most melanin here? Like, because like, we're weird, and that's okay. Right? A part of what it is, a part of what it is in black, to be black in America is also to try to raise your children in such a way that even though the world would diminish you because of your melanin, it's my job as a parent who loves you to help build you up. So let's talk about what melanin is. Right? Let's talk about like it's just something that's in your body. And so Olivia and I, my my 12-year-old daughter, will still sometimes like, yo, we got the most melanin in the house, right? (laughs) You know, melanin strong. (laughs) It just is what it is. But I know I have peers and even elders who are white who the idea of even pointing out someone's melanin in the grocery store, please don't do that, don't do that. That's racist. It's not. Talking about race doesn't mean you're racist. It just means you can see. It just means you, and you can hear. Don't pretend that y'all, y'all know that black and Hispanic and Asian people got different voices than white people. <laughs> you can hear too. And you can feel, if they tell you you can feel their hair, you got to be real close and you got to ask. <laughs> Don't be just doing it. You got to be real close, <laughs> okay? It just means that you're able, to up, you're able to engage with the world around you from a sensory level. <laughs> That's all it means. Something that was a little bit more intimate to me, passionate pursuit of racial unity shows disloyalty to my people. 
that is a misconception that I've had to work through. And I didn't start working through it before pursuing it. It wasn't until I started pursuing it and having the backlash of people whom I have shared life with struggling with the idea of my passionate pursuit of multi-ethnic life. And that comes with some vulnerabilities for those of us who are minorities. The idea of wanting to have a reconciled relationship with a people group that has represented your oppression sometimes feels like rejection if you are a minority group. And so it sometimes is that feeling of rejection has been heaped upon me in the past. Like, oh, you a sellout. Are we ain't good enough for you no more? Those are literally things people have said to me, and I've had to work through the misconception that I can pursue relationships that are healthy across ethnic lines without that meaning I'm being disloyal, disloyal to my people. And we'll all be the same in heaven. That's another lie. <laughs> That's just, like, I, I don't even want to, like, call that a misconception. That's just a flat-out lie. Like, that is, like, completely opposite of Scripture. And so those are some of the misconceptions that kind of come up when we start thinking about race. If this is the first time you've been a part of a church family that talks about race this openly and it may feel flippant, it's okay. We're family, right? We talk about this just as much, just as openly as we should talk about anything else. We have a rule in our household that you don't get to just jump on, stand on the furniture. We talk about that openly, <laughs> right? We don't skate around it like, um, well, don't put the part of your body that's on the floor, on the furniture, right? No, like, get your feet off the furniture. Like, <laughs> that just is what a thing, right? And so that doesn't mean that we don't recognize the intense baggage that comes along with the conversation. But it is a thing that we learn to talk about openly and candidly because that also takes away some of the power that this world has given it. When we speak about it candidly, we say it doesn't have power over us and it cannot cause me to be in fear to the point where I can't say black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. We may not get it right. And that's okay. We're not gonna get a lot right as family. That's okay. So the name of the sermon is On Purpose because the Bible talks about ethnicity on purpose. I use the word ethnicity on purpose <laughs> because the Bible doesn't really have like this conversation of race. Like there's not race in the Bible the way that we talk about it. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, actually, um, and then Galatians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 26 through 29. So I want you to see this picture because this is still my favorite picture of Unison family members. It really is my favorite picture. Like, this was taken after a rehearsal like <laughs> three, four years ago, 
And it, I just, it has been my, my, my uh, cover photo on Facebook several times. I love seeing that. I love seeing all of the hues of human that exist. Uh, and honestly, it's, I mean, Candace actually uh, had it printed for me as a graduation gift, and it's sitting in my office. I love this picture. It just represents us so well, the intentionality behind who we are and why we are the way we are. I want to see more of that. Like when we first launched, uh, like found out some of the racial demographics of the 49507 community and were like pushing real hard to look exactly like the census said the 49507 community looks. Um, and I mean, the reality is we don't look exactly like that now, but I still enjoy the fact that we are, as a family get to look around and visually, yes, see that we're different, but the more intimate we share relationships, the closer we let our hands get, <laughs> the more that that's more than, it's just visual. My life is blessed by the diversity that exists here. So let's talk from a biblical standpoint, ethnic, ethnicity or race. From a biblical standpoint, it's really religion. Like in the Old Testament, it's ge geography and religion. And in many ways, geography and religion are very much connected in the Old Testament. Not as much in the New Testament because there's a lot going on with the Roman Empire. So people are kind of all over the place. But specifically in the Old Testament, when you think about ethnicity and or nations or people groups, the Bible only speaks about it from the standpoint of religions. And so when we see the Amorites, right, or the Moabites, or the Hittites, or the otherites, they're all really from the same part of the world. They all look the same. <laughs> they all kind of got that ancient Middle Eastern flair going on in them. There's, they wouldn't think about race the way we do. The way that we think about race now really didn't show up until like the 1400s. Most of, the, most of human history, skin color hasn't been a way of determining a difference between a person. It's a recent thing. So when we talk about race and or ethnicity and or multiculturalism from a biblical standpoint, we have to go in knowing nobody cared what Jesus looked like. <laughs> They just didn't. No one was sitting around debating if Solomon was black or not. They just weren't. It doesn't mean that he wasn't. It doesn't mean that he was. Just that was not a concern for the people writing the Bible or studying the Bible before the 1400s. They couldn't care less whether David had curly hair and a broad nose or a long nose and straight hair. They just didn't care. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't matter to us because we live in a world in which humanity has made it matter. But if we're going to get, glean anything from Scripture as it relates to being a multi-ethnic family, we have to understand that their primary concern in terms of people group was who do you worship? Period. Who do you worship? One of my favorite things as we talk about Scripture being on purpose is the genealogy of Jesus. 
when I was first kind of joined, getting into this world of multi-ethnic life and ministry specifically, I was reading through Matthew, and I'm not going to read all of it, but Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16 gives this genealogy of Jesus. And um, excluding Mary, there are only four women that are uh, recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. If you, I, I put kind of the scripture reference where you can find their stories. And one of the things that I got caught off guard by was the fact that three of the four of these women are not Jews. And I was like, why in the world would Matthew feel it necessary to only list these four women? Right? I'm sure there are other theological reasons, right? I'm cool with that. And for those of us who are like deep, like we study deep, I'm sure you can probably come up with 10 reasons for each of them, but let one of them be that they're diverse <laughs> in their ethnicity. There are several mothers that would have been listed in there because there are several fathers and the daddies didn't do it by themselves. But Tamar, a Canaanite, Rahab, also a Canaanite, and Ruth, a Moabite, being in there just stood out to me as something that was important, that's so important that Matthew made sure that we knew Jesus was mixed <laughs> from a biblically ethnic standpoint. He was a mixed dude. Another part is in Revelation, something that kind of has formed the way in which we see ethnicity, uh, or excuse me, the value of ethnicity is in Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 8 talks about all of the tribes of Israel and how many of them will be numbered at the end. But then at verse 9, it says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You show that picture? This is just some random animation of a bunch of different people groups. But one of my favorite realities in Revelation is that I get to be black in heaven. <laughs> right? Like, that's really, what ver that's really what verse 7, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 9 means. If you're Asian down here, you get to be Asian up there. <laughs> if you're Irish down here, you get to be Irish up there. And all the other issues, <laughs> you get to be up there too. And by up there, don't lie. I know we get new heaven and all of that stuff or new earth. I get that. But ultimately, what John saw was a bunch of different kinds of people. And so then if we're not preparing, our, we're not being discipled toward all being one in terms of being the same people group, but even before the throne... We are different people united there worshiping, then it behooves us to figure out how to navigate that here as well. That's really what that is, right? I'm not, if we are to represent the kingdom of God, if we are daily being equipped to do so, 
Why would we, in, why would we assume that we need to wait <laughs> until Christ's return to look like that? Am I waiting for Christ to get rid of pornography in my life? Am I waiting for Christ's return for any other area of sin and stain of sin in my life? Or am I surrendering completely now? Am I saying that that's going to be easy and perfect? No. Am I saying that that's what we're held accountable to? Absolutely. Absolutely. That has, that's the foundations of why we do multi-ethnic ministry. At the end of the day, I may not be married in heaven, but I'm going to be black. <laughs> Go figure that out. My mom is my sister and my, my son is my brother. All of those relationships can get completely redefined. But my ethnicity doesn't. Why would John write that? Why is that important that John would tell you that he saw that? Of all the things that he saw in heaven, he was doing something on purpose. He was making sure that the people who would read scripture for generations knew that the expectation is that we do this together. On purpose. Galatians chapter 3 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That is, people following Yahweh and people not. <laughs> Slave or free, male and female. As a note, it's important to realize that what Paul is talking about here is these demographics that have separated them into different classes of people. Ultimately, that's the point. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See? That's, when we talk about what it is to be one, it's not to mean that we all become this, that, I hate the idea of a melting pot. That's not a thing. It just isn't. It's just really not. I know we like to think about that, right? And that had, it, it actually had a completely different historic context than what we try to use it for now. But we're not a melting pot. We're just not. One of the things that we talked about when we first launched was this idea of like having this plate of food. And like, I want my collard greens and my arroz con gondules and my green bean casserole <laughs> on one plate. Right? Like, <laughs> Right, like all them flavors in one? Yes, yes. I want all of that on one plate. Not so you get, not because I, and I don't want them touching all the time. I want to be able to, like, I want to be able to taste the flavors individually. Okay? 
I don't want a gumbo all the time. I sometimes want to be able to be able to see and experience all the beauty of the diversity that God has to offer. And something that we've talked about and will continue to talk about as a family is that we share in the identity of God. We share in his likeness. I do not bear his likeness by myself. I do, I don't have the capacity to bear his likeness by myself. And I know we like to encourage each other by saying, you're an image bearer. They're an image bearer. They're a partial image bearer. And the beauty is that God has set up parts of who God is in all the different ethnicities of the world. And the things that we sometimes make fun of as stereotypes are just characters of God on display in the various people groups on the earth. And if we would humble ourselves to say, I don't bear the image of God by myself, then perhaps I can learn something from this Native American next to me. Perhaps I can see God more clearly through this person from Singapore next to me. Perhaps I can enjoy more of the benefit of the likeness of God by people who don't look, eat, smell, think, or behave the way I do because I do not bear the image of God by myself. And what Paul is getting at is all of that kind of stuff that you all used to use to separate you because you didn't like the way it felt or you thought you were better than or you thought you were less than, none of it matters in Christ. You're not the same. But you do need to be one. And being one doesn't mean thinking, acting, and eating the same way. It means moving in the same direction. It means where are we going, fam? We're pursuing Christ together. Let's do it. There's another context in Ephesians, and it reads like this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That applies to what we're talking about. I think if we're real... There's many ways in which we need to be reconciled to one another. But one of the strongest and most significant ways is through race. It just is what it is. It's okay for us to say that out loud. It's true. That's why the whole country is up in arms, like, talking about race. I love the fact that we get to talk about it more freely than we did when I was 12. (laughs) I do. I do. I love the fact that I'm actually having uncomfortable conversations with people told you about the conversation that I had with my friend, one of the things that I gathered from that is I didn't actually know that I needed white people to talk, to start a conversation with me about race. I didn't know I needed it. And what I found out is I was anxious to start the conversation with my white family and friends because if I found out that they didn't care as much as I needed them to, it would forever change the way I saw them. And I didn't know if I could handle seeing them as an individual who doesn't care about my reality. So it was easier for me to just say, let's not talk about it. (laughs) 
I didn't even know I was doing that, fam. I'm being honest with you. I didn't, I was not aware that I did not have these conversations with folks. And then also like, okay, well, why don't you just start it? Because honestly, I'm anxious. And it's, and I want to be more mature than that. I want to be more saved. I want to be more, like, I want to be better than that to then to be afraid that I'm going to experience your rejection if you just flippantly tell me that racism isn't a thing. But the reality is, I need white people who love me to say, Chase, let's talk about race. <laughs> Not because we all know what to talk about, but because that means that you care. <laughs> it means that you love me enough to enter into an uncomfortable situation that I navigate daily. That's just something I didn't know I needed. I didn't know I needed that. And then he told me that he didn't realize that he needed to have a conversation with me about something more than just the fact that we're different and that it was okay with our relationship for me to talk with him about it. See, I think one of the misconceptions that we're all the same in Christ, Satan has used us, has used to keep us in fear of real intimacy with our sisters and brothers. And has used that as a tool to say, oh, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it. Everybody's in Jesus. Everybody's in Jesus. Mm, not a thing. We actually do have to talk about it. Intentionality is the point. Like marriage, multi-ethnic unity requires intentionality. You will never hear anyone talk about marriage and say, you're one now. Now you don't have to worry about anything. You'll think the same way. You'll speak the same way. You'll act the same way. You'll process information the same way. You'll communicate the same way. All the things that will happen in your life, you will experience from the same perspective. Lies. Whoever marries, please tell them that they need to stop what they're doing. <laughs> like, and write comedy. <laughs> it requires intentionality for a wife and a husband to be one. It doesn't just happen because you said some vows, right? It, we don't just become one as a multi-ethnic family just because we prayed the prayer of salvation. That's not a thing. It requires intentionality. I have to put myself in uncomfortable and vulnerable and humble situations regularly. That's actually why multi-ethnic ministry is so difficult. <laughs> That's just the truth. It's real easy for me to get in a room full of black folks and have a good time. <laughs> it just is. I'm just being honest. You ever been to a, like a, a traditional black church? It's a good time. <laughs> and it's real easy for me to do that. It feels like home. Like, like going to your grandmother's house. All the smells and all the sounds are familiar. It's real easy for that to happen. And I don't have to think so much. I can move a little quicker because we have some of the same jokes. We have some of the same analogies and mannerisms. This, like, it's, I, it never fails. At least two or three times a year, I find something on Facebook that I thought was just my family thing, but that was every black family? Everybody? <laughs> we all did that? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's real easy. What's difficult is when 
I'm navigating conflict with a sister or a brother who is Puerto Rican. And I don't know some of the nuances of how Puerto Rican families navigate conflict. So I have to humble myself to slow down and ask more questions. I can't just speak as freely or as quickly as I want to. I have to slow down and process. Is what I'm going to say not just going to be taken the wrong way, but will it dishonor whom I love? And when I don't get it right, I have to not assume that they were being sensitive, but assume that in my humanity and lack of information, I overstepped a line. Sister, brother, forgive me. I didn't know. Thank you for teaching me. That is not easy. We don't like that. We don't like it in marriage, let alone with somebody who we just see a couple times a week. <laughs> Y'all acting like I'm not telling the truth. Y'all acting like... <laughs> You know that's a thing. <laughs> to actually live multi-ethnic life and to do multi-ethnic ministry requires a level of intentionality and humility that most of us are just not equipped for. And so those of us who are on the, the early part of the curve the early part of the bell curve, I consider you all early adopters to what the Holy Spirit is already doing. It's a learning curve for us too, but I want you to know that that learning curve looks a lot like Jesus. Don't be discouraged by the work that we have to do to live this well. It looks like Jesus to humble ourselves and when we should be able to move quickly, when we should be able to say what we want, when I should be able to touch your hair whenever I want to, when I should be able to say what I want, when I should be able to think and process and navigate conflict however I want, but I say that I won't, I put down my rights and my privileges just like Christ put down his rights and his privileges, and it looks a lot more like Jesus than just hanging out, having a good time with people who look, think, talk, smell, eat, dance, sing like I do. Another thing, this is, I said it's not a matter of politics, it's discipleship. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. When we start talking about what it is to do racial equity and multi-ethnic ministry, it's not just because it's popular right now. <laughs> That's just not a thing. I'm going to, it's, we all know this, okay? But we've, if you've ever read a history book, you know we go through these waves as a country. <laughs> and everybody in the country is talking about it, and then after a couple of years, we ain't no more. <laughs> and then we talk about it again, and then we're not anymore. This wave will pass, and that's why it's not a matter of politics, and it's not a matter of what's popular. It's a matter of discipleship, living free from the pain, the chains, stains, and the strains. Come on. <laughs> of racism is a progressive work of the Holy Spirit. And just like every other thing in my life that I have been exposed to that is anti-Christ, 
I have to surrender myself to the work of the Holy Spirit to allow it to be, allow myself to be cleansed from it. That requires humility on all of our parts. One of the things that uh, my brother and I talked about, uh, the one who I hadn't talked about race with before, we talked about some of the pain of what it is to live in constant anxiety that someone would see you as a racist. And there was a part of me that was like, man, whatever, you ain't got to live nothing. Like, pause, Chase. Be humble for a second. You've, you've never actually had to experience that. I've never had to experience what it is to be able, how do I describe someone without using skin color? For the fear that someone would think I'm racist and the best way that I was able to understand that is I currently live in anxiety that I will in some way be offensive and oppressive to women around me because I just don't see all of the ways in which being a man sometimes crosses a line of dishonoring the women I love. And when we talked about that, I was like, ooh. That's a pain that I don't know that I completely understand. And I don't know that I ever will understand it. But don't let me not acknowledge it just because it's not the same pain that's the result of racism that I experience. This is the kind of stuff that we have to talk about as a family because if we don't, then we'll just ride the wave of saying all white people just need to be quiet while we talk about racism and that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. If we cannot acknowledge how racism has pain and strained all of us, then throw the whole conversation away because that's not discipleship. That's just letting some people get some stress out. And that, there's a place for that. But it's not discipleship. And that's okay for us to say that out loud. Discipleship, that means we all come recognizing that I have some things that the seed of sin that gave root and fruit to racism has impacted me, has impacted all of us. And if we are really going to pursue Christ together, then let's all come vulnerable before him. All of us, all of us laying down what we feel like we have ownership to, to receive a new way of seeing the world through the lens of the Holy Spirit. That's not easy. Welcome to the family. Our, uh, we have a coach, um, Christine and I uh, work out at Life Addict Studios. And um, one of the things that they say is you can do hard things. <laughs> you can do hard things, fam. You can. You can do hard things. This is a matter of discipleship. And so let's lay it all out on the table right now. All of us, all of us have been raised in a reality that has taught us to see the way in which we see our colors of our skin and the textures of our hair in, as a way of valuing someone's um, existence. And some of us sometimes live in rebellion to that by saying that, 
one ethnicity is better than the other because the other ones were oppressing the other ones and all of those things, all of us come. That is a pain and a stain of racism. And it is our shared responsibility as a family to seek the Lord together for how he may may wash us and cleanse us of that and show us a new way of seeing the one another. That's that renewing our mind thing. Give us new patterns of interacting with each other. And when we do, not just when we all sing the same songs, when we do that, our unbelieving siblings, cousins, Nephews, uncles, neighbors see something in us that's different and that's worth questioning. Not just because you go to a church that has a black pastor. That's not the same. I actually have older members of my family tell me, you know that you'll never have a white person come into your church, right? (laughs) Tiana's like, (laughs) is this a thing? It's a thing. I actually, like, it was a thing. But when we actually speak as though the Holy Spirit has cleansed us from the stain, right, when we, when it begins to just exude from us because of the way in which we live, people begin to ask us questions. And for some of them, their initial reaction may actually be to reject you. They rejected Jesus too. It's okay. But the more and more we look like Christ, the more and more we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, the more we position ourselves to do what Jesus said, that if we are one, then the world will know that the Father sent him and loves us just as much as he loves the Son. When we love each other, then the world will know we are his disciples. When we pretend, the world will keep on moving, and eventually this conversation will die down, and we'll probably find our way scattering to some churches that look more like us. <laughs> that's not, I don't believe that's the will of the Father. I don't. I believe the will of the Father is that we look like Revelation 7, 9. So, so fam. The misconception this week <laughs> um, is not kind of a it's not really a misconception. We've been talking about it for seven years, <laughs> but may it be continually broken up in us. May we break up in us this idea that we can do this at a surface level and be okay. We got to go deep, and so um, I want to pray for us. Thanks for playing, uh, and then uh, we can we can head out. Father, thank you. Uh, that you care so much for us, that you give us a glimpse of what you're doing in the heavenlies, um, in Scripture, but also you give us a heads up before we get there. You care that your creation is united. You care about that. You care that the creatures, that the only creatures that bear your image would do so from a place of unity so the world actually gets to see you clearly. You care about that. You care that I would be delivered from racism. 
you care that my racial bias would be washed away in your blood. You care that I would have words and ways of thinking that reflect your kingdom more beautifully. And because you care, Lord, give us grace to care more and more. Give us grace grace to enter into the conversation with humility. Give us grace to enter into the conversation with reconciliation in mind because that's what you have in mind. God, and every temptation that would be there that would cause me to buck up in pride, remind me that you put off your crown for some years to live and experience all that we experience, not because you have to, but because you love us. Give us grace to love that way. Teach us, God. Teach us. And so I surrender. I surrender the painful experiences that I've had. I surrender my anxiety. Holy Spirit, renew my mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, before you all go, a couple of things. Um, If you are an individual who, uh, well, uh, even if you didn't RSVP, <laughs> there is a new to unison uh, conversation happening in the family room. Um, and so we talked about that for the last couple of weeks. And some of you emailed and let me know you're going to be there. We got you. We're ready. Um, and that new to, it's really individuals who are um, hopping into unison, um, who have perhaps been a part of what was formerly tribes, and um, or just people who are like, I saw unison on the corner and I've just been hanging out. <laughs> um, it's a place to um, find out more information about the church that you're a part of. Um, and so that's going to be in the family room. We're going to actually get going at 1230. So you got half an hour to kind of mull about. <laughs> um, and uh, and if um, and even if you didn't RSVP, but you're like, I do want to find out more information, please come on in. I ordered enough food for some extra people. Uh, and so we should be good there. And um, if you are an individual who would um, benefit from some prayer afterwards, um, don't go away. Um, just come on up. There'll be a prayer partner or two that will be able to just pray with you um, and just go before God together. And so if you're able, stand with me. Jesus gave his disciples uh, a command, and it wasn't really new, but he did say, I give you a new command, and it is to love one another just as I have loved you. He said that when you love one another, the world will know you are my disciples. And I just echo and pass that along to us as a family. May we love each other humbly, fully, so that the world around us will know we are his disciples. Love y'all and see y'all next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others can benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.